Hello everyone, I hope you are all doing very well today. Welcome back to Sales. It's a relationship game. As always, I'm your host Sam, and thank you very much for tuning in. If you're new around here and you like what you're listening to, please, depending on the platform you're on, hit follow or subscribe. And with that, let's get into it. If you're a salesperson and you've had more than one job in your career, in more than one organisational business, in more than one sales team, you will know that from one sales team to the next, the sales process is always different. Now, there's many reasons for that. That could be the size of the business, the industry that the business is operating in, the target market for the salespeople that they are going after. But interestingly, in my experience, I found that even within the same industry, looking at the same types of organizations in terms of size, headcount, revenue, and you look from one sales team to the next sales team, and actually sometimes within one organization in itself, if it's a large organization, sales process really does vary. Now, if you think about it from a SaaS perspective, for example, there are some pretty standard pillars within a SaaS sales process. And if you're not um, that well acquainted with SaaS, I'll give you a brief bit of context now. So most SaaS organizations, their sales teams are built up with different strands of people that have different responsibilities. They have typically grad level people researching prospects, qualifying prospects. They have coal-faced salespeople who are out opening doors, building relationships. Behind those, they have account managers and they have people with more technical expertise that can really explain how products are embedded into a business. And then behind them, they have uh, customer retention teams and, and, and various other strands. But, but for context, that, that kind of gives you a flavor of the types of processes that sit within their overall sales process. You can see how a prospect would go from person to person and how it develops. Now that is quite common in SaaS businesses. I'd say it's very common actually in SaaS businesses. No matter the size, from startup to multinational, there is some process embedded like that within the business. However, there'll always be different nuances. There'll always be different orders that things happen in. There'll always be blurred lines where you have one person doing the job of two people in another organization, for example. So it's quite interesting, I think, or I asked the question, I should say, why is it that businesses in 90% of cases build their sales process around the sales cycle? Now, for those people that aren't uh, that familiar with the sales cycle, if you're a salesperson, I would say get to know it because at some point in your career, if you're new in your career, you will work within a sales team that religiously follows the sales cycle. But it's interesting because I say the sales cycle. But if you are to go on Google, for example, and you just type in sales cycle, there is one roughly standard format. It has seven steps. However, if you look in a bit more depth, you will find countless different types of sales cycle. 
And today I'm going to talk about mine, because obviously I think it is the best. But seriously, take a moment to think about the businesses you're familiar with. Take a moment to think about the types of products, services, solutions that they offer. Think about how possibly some services and solutions may require a more sophisticated sale compared to an off-the-shelf product. Just take an example. If you work for a consultant and you're selling auditory services, that is a very sophisticated sale. And in many cases, businesses are tied to auditors for many, many years. And the sales cycle is very long. It can take three to five years to deliver a, deliver a sale of that nature. However, if you're selling an off-the-shelf product, and I used the example in a class the other day when I was talking to someone that I mentor, um, stationary. If you're a business and you're looking to change stationary provider, if you disregard any contractual obligations, it is not going to be as much of a sophisticated sale or as much of a challenging process to change stationary provider as it is to change auditor. Yet, if you if you look at the sales cycle, and I'm going to go through mine in a second, you can always, in some degree, make their sales process fit around the sales cycle. And I think for sales operations people out there and business development managers that look after sales reps and sales people. I think if you've got sometimes reps or or people on the road that are talking to prospects and warming up prospects and things aren't developing at the speed or possibly aren't developing in as much of a successful way as you would want to, sometimes I think it's quite interesting to talk to these people about the sales cycle. What do they do to warm up their prospects? What do they do to win new clients? Because I think in many cases, although every single sales team out there has a sales process, some of them are not rigid enough. And really, if you think about them from a high enough level, every single sales process and every single business does follow some sort of theme. And that is simply because people buy from people and sales is a relationship game. So I'm going to talk now about my sales cycle. And unlike the uh, commonly seen sales cycle, mine has eight steps. And then I have a second one here, and I just have to count quickly, <laughs> that has 10 steps. Um, I'm going to focus on the one that has 10 steps, because I think it is going to be the most relevant to everyone that is listening and what I'm going to do is at each step, we'll have a little talk about what I do and what I think is be- sometimes the best practice at those steps. This, as this podcast will always be, it'll always have a B2B focus. Um, sometimes I'll, there'll be some good B2C case studies and we'll have some good B2C focused guests. But as a whole, we're going to focus this on, the, on, a, on a B2B basis. So my sales cycle starts with prospecting. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? Because prospecting is a very broad brush term. But my sales cycle, prospecting, what I'm talking about here is finding out what your prospect universe is. And prospect universe is a term that I've heard in a number of sales teams. It's a bit like your target market. Who is out there that fits 
your ideal customer profile. Think about your service, think about your solution, think about your product. Now, when you put that together, you knew it was either going to improve something or solve a problem or do something better than someone else or something else is already doing. And if you have that, which you should do, you can think about who your prospect universe is. Now, simply for me, and when I talk to people that I mentor, I always say it should start as simple and as high level as a list on an Excel spreadsheet. Now, there are so many tools out there that I think are so useful. Factiva, Crunchbase, LinkedIn Sales Navigator, Artesian, just to name four. Now, if you haven't heard of some of them, I'll be going into more details about these types of tools in future episodes. But for now, just give them a Google. These are four really, really intuitive tools. Now, Artesian is is just a GB UK focused tool, but Sales Navigator, Factiva, and Crunchbase, is, they are fantastic global tools which can support you in building very tailored prospect lists. And guess what? Two of them export to Excel as well. I'll let you work out what ones they are. My favorite is Factiva. I think it's so, so intuitive. You're able to build prospect lists based on revenue size, based on headcount, based on the industry, based on the geography. You name it, you can typically do it. Is it publicly listed? Is it private? These are all filters that you can find on Factiva that can help you build prospect lists. So say, for example, you are a a software company that builds bespoke CRM solutions. And say you've got a niche within your product for estate agents. You could go onto one of these tools and you can build yourself a list of estate agents within a certain country, continent, county, state, town, city, you name it, you can do it. And that's what I mean by building a prospect list and prospecting. Now, the next step in my sales cycle is research. I'm going to very quickly get through these because I think it's very intuitive and I think you're going to get the gist straight away. Once I've built that prospect list, what's the next step? We research these businesses. We qualify this list. How are these businesses actually doing? Have I spoken to any of them before? Looking at each business individually, which ones do we think what we have to offer, what our proposition is, what businesses on this list do we think would look at that and go, yes, we need that. Yes, that can solve a problem for us. The more qualified your prospect lists are, the greater chances of success you have around the sales cycle. Now, the next step on mine is identify stakeholders. Now, this is something I haven't seen in any other sales cycle before, which I find quite surprising, to be honest. And I find it quite surprising simply because people buy from people. Yes, you know this business exists, but who within the business do you actually want to talk to? If you're going to pick up the phone and say, I want to talk to someone about your banking provider, I want to talk to someone about your stationary provider, who provides your lease cars, you're going to be met by a cold wall because you've not done your research and you've not identified the stakeholders that you want to talk to. Now, if you're reaching out to a prospect and you're, you're looking 
to build a relationship with a cold prospect. You've got to remember, people buy from people. If you can find the individual that is responsible for the purchase, for the procurement, for the management of the product, service, or solution that you have to offer, you have moved one enormous step in the right direction because suddenly you know who you need to be talking to and you know how to build, uh, you know who you need to build a relationship, sorry, a relationship with. Now, if you're now picking up the phone to this prospect and you can ask for this person by name and by title, whoever picks up that phone is gonna have a lot more confidence that you are someone that they should put through. Now, as I've already touched on, the next step in my sales cycle, once you've identified those stakeholders, is to finally approach them. And again, there's so many new ways that you can begin to approach people. Cold emailing, I think, is something that is, is limited levels of success that you can achieve. Success does happen, but in my experience, it's few and far between. And also, you've, with GDPR now, you are somewhat limited in the, the manners that you can cold email. Automation and broad brush emails are becoming a thing of the past because of it. And you've got to adapt your sales process because of that. I think my personal favorite tool is LinkedIn Sales Navigator. And that is because you can reach out, if they've got LinkedIn, you can reach out directly to that stakeholder, send them a direct message on LinkedIn, and people get a lot less LinkedIn messages a day than they get emails, so they're a lot more likely to open it and read it. And because it's a bit different, and I still think a lot of salespeople maybe haven't caught on to this because I don't see... I see a lot of salespeople using Sales and Sales Navigator, but I also see a lot of people not using Sales Navigator. You can reach out using Sales Navigator to the direct stakeholder you have identified. And on top of that, LinkedIn Sales Navigator can actually allow you to identify these stakeholders. And that's something that I didn't touch on on the previous point. If you're looking for the head of procurement, yes, in so for some big businesses, you can Google head of procurement of company X. But in Sales Navigator, you can type in the company you're prospecting and it'll open up every single employee that works at that business that has a LinkedIn account. And you can filter that by job title and you can filter that by keyword. You've then identified the stakeholder you want and you've got a direct line of contact to them via LinkedIn. I still think cold calling is very good. I'm also very, uh, I'm also a big fan of meeting at conferences, meeting at events, because you're straight away off the bat getting that face-to-face, in-person contact and you're starting to build that relationship. And that leads me on to the next step in the sales cycle, meeting. It's all about getting in front of people and building a relationship. There's, I think we saw during COVID um, where a lot of meetings were done over Teams or Zoom or whatever it may be. People got Zoom fatigue. That's a, a saying that I heard quite regularly. Um, and I think actually if you work within a sales team, you, you haven't been in the trenches with the people around you because you felt a bit detached. You're at home, you're talking to them on a screen. It's the same with prospective clients. They can't look at you. Well, they can via Teams, but there's an essence you get when you meet someone in person, you give off so much more 
um, so much more of a vibe with your body language. And a vibe probably isn't the word that you hear many salespeople using, but that's exactly what it is. It is a vibe. If you're in a room, you can convey so much information beyond what you're saying. Now, the next two steps in my sales cycle here are develop an opportunity and then differentiate. Develop an opportunity is first because you need to convert that meeting into something more meaningful. And it's all about moving from the relationship building stage through to the, okay, I've got a product, I've got a service, I've got a solution. Let me present it to you and let me explain why it is the product service solution that you need. And then I've got to differentiate there after develop the opportunity because you'll find in many cases, if this person is talking to you about your nature of product, service or solution, they'll be talking to your competitors as well. So you've got to differentiate and that sits in exactly there with develop opportunity because what you're trying to get across to the stakeholder that is the buyer, the controller of your offering is that of all the other offers, propositions they have available, yours is the most suitable to their business. Yours will de uh, deliver the highest amount of return on investment. Yours will solve the problem in the most effective and efficient way. And if it's a CRM system, which is the example that I used earlier, that system can be implemented into their, their current IT infrastructure. Their employees will be able to use the CRM system because it's intuitive. They can access it on their phone. It can be bespoke to record the types of information that that business needs to record based on what their proposition is. And that's what it's all about. It's convincing the person that you are talking to, the stakeholder that you've built the relationship with, that everything else on the table isn't as good as what you have to offer. A lot of people think it's all about price. And I think there is a risk that where we're moving with inflation and rising costs of doing business, it could become more about price. Price is always a factor. I think it's going to become a growing factor. But 60%, an absolute minimum, will be driven on how well you can convey that your offering is the most suitable for them. And the next step is close. Let's close the deal. You've ticked the boxes. You've gone around the sales cycle. At every single step, you've been diligent. At every single step, you've taken the opportunity to build a better relationship, to convey the messaging that you require about your product service solution. You've listened to everything that prospect has said to you. You've understood their business. You've used active listening. You've asked open questions. You've got detailed answers. You've bespoke your offering. You've differentiated your offering against your competitors. You've tailored your proposition to suit that business's needs because you have listened to what they actually need. And that's how you close. There's no secret saying. Yes, you can help them overcome hurdles. But you can't do any of these things unless you've listened to what the prospective client has said from day one. You need to understand their business. You need to understand their problem. And you need to understand how your offering will work with them. And you can only do that if you've listened from the first moment of contact. There'll be hurdles. Of course there will. There will be questions. And you'll be able to adapt your answers to those hurdles and those questions because you would have listened from the first moment of contact, you will have a very good understanding and a very good profile of their business. 
And the answers you have, the answers you use to overcome hurdles will be tailored, they'll be bespoke based on what you've learned. It's all being well, and you're not extortionally expensive, and you've been able to articulate all of these different things, it's finally time to deliver on what you've promised. And it's so concerning how many sales cycles you see out there where there isn't any focus on delivering what you've promised. People forget that retaining a client is a lot cheaper than winning a new client. It's a lot less effort than winning a new client. You've got to retain your current book of clients. And as a salesperson, if you walk away from the moment that deal is closed, you cannot guarantee that that client will be there next year because you are not aware of, you are not overseeing what is going on once it's closed. Only you will know everything about the business because you've been out there talking to the stakeholders. Only you will know how these people like to work and you will have the established relationship. If you walk away, they will question why. I think a fantastic role for a salesperson to take at the close of a deal is a transition manager. To manage the transition from whoever this person, whoever this business is using currently, to you. You make it a smooth transition. You ensure that everything you worked into, the pitch you put together, to the presentation, to the messaging you've been giving these stakeholders of this prospect, is worked into the offering that is then delivered to the client because they're now a client and clients will always be more important than prospective clients no matter what any salesperson says to you. And all being well, you've got a happy client. And once you've got a happy client, you can expand the relationship and the magic word upsell. Upselling is easier and it's cheaper than going to win a new client. If you are delivering top quality client service and you have other services, solutions, products that are suitable for this specific client in mind, then you've got a foot in the door. You've got a hot prospect there. Because they're a current client. They know what you're about. They know how good you are. And then it comes back to where we are again. Develop the opportunity and differentiate. And that is my sales cycle. That is my 10-step sales cycle. And it brings in more about the relationship at both ends. Let's learn about the individuals before we're even approaching the individuals. And once we've closed that deal, let's really think about what we, I can do as a salesperson to be sure that what I have sold for this prospective client is delivered. And if you do that well, even with your current book of clients, more opportunities will arise. That has been another episode of Sales. It's a relationship game. As always, thank you very much for tuning in today. Depending on the platform you're on, please do give us a follow or a subscribe. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts today and you enjoyed today's episode, why not head to the show page, scroll to the bottom and leave us a very nice review. Once again, thank you very much and see you next time.